And so then he started telling me about the UFO that, that always came to his place and, and dropped the automobile down. Okay, guys, welcome back to this week's America show. We're going to be talking with Artie Sixkiller Clark a little bit later about uh, star people and such. And, but first, as always, how's it going, Graham? Hey, Darren, we're just east of the Rockies in the igloo, and I'm doing well. Yeah. Yeah. How's it going? Uh, we got RPJ here. How's it going, Red? Hey, guys. Having a hard day's night, you know, after a busy day, although it seems not as busy as yours. Yeah, it's been a hectic night of recording here for us. This is our third recording of the night, and we've still got one more to do after this one. Oh, my God. We have a fascinating episode coming up with RD6 Killer Clark, though, about the encounters with star people, eh? Native legends, and she talks quite a bit about uh, the South American part of it that's that still north, central american more and, and mexico too which is north america yeah central too yeah yeah by the way i just today i, I read the last uh, blog post by sheila about this uh, this forest of, of the moon uh, and some of the legends of her people and i found it pretty fascinating yeah, I uh, almost finished it. It was quite a long blog, but but you're talking about the blog on the Grimerica uh, website, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good one. It's definitely worth checking out. It is. It is quite a read, but it's worth. Uh, it's worth it. Mm-hmm. Have you heard about that uh, RPJ? About uh, what exactly? That forest. <laughs> No, that's the first time uh, I've read about it, you know, but it sounds uh, quite interesting. This black forest in Poland, you know, full of mystery and, and, and legends and, and and weird stories. You know, uh, the photos themselves, uh, it almost looks like something out of a, a Brother Grimm's fairy tale or something, you know? Yeah. You wouldn't, want to be, you wouldn't want to be hanging around there by yourself in the middle of the night. Maybe you would. No, definitely not. Doing a C-SETI meditation? <laughs> how, is, how are you doing with that C-SETI uh, contact app, by the way? Well, I, I, it's, it's pretty cool. I haven't really dug into it too far. I thought about it on the weekend when I was driving down south to this pyramid for a meditation. Um, yeah, I thought maybe maybe I should try it, but I didn't really want to do it while I was driving. But I was thinking I, I wanted a UFO. So you shouldn't <laughs> meditate while you're driving. <laughs> <laughs> but I did see this cool uh, sun dog on the way down. I pulled over off the highway to take a pic, and I just I just forwarded it to you, Red. What do you think? Have you have you watched the video? Yeah, I was just checking it out before we started recording, and and it looks cool. You know, it's well, sun dogs are. Uh, fairly well-known atmospheric phenomenon. Uh, I remember seeing it something like that, well, 20, 25 years ago, in 1991, actually, prior to the famous or infamous solar eclipse that kick-started the, the Mexican UFO wave. 
but anyway, yeah, the, that looks like a pretty sweet uh, uh, sighting. Now, what will be interesting uh, for you, Graham, will be to check out uh, the newspapers tomorrow to see if, it, if it's actually being uh, reported on. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I never thought about that because that was actually on Sunday. So it was uh, two days ago now. So mm. we're going we're gonna to put it on, Darren, are you going to put it on the website and maybe uh, on our YouTube channel? Uh, well, he hasn't even watched it yet. He's so yeah, interested in my it. stories. I watched it. I told <laughs> oh, you. Oh, yeah, right, right. Like, <laughs> Graham is so excited by, by his sun duck. <laughs> no, it was fucking fascinating, man. Like, it was a circular rainbow around the sun, and the mm -hmm. bottom of it glared. Like, I guess that's the sun dog, right? It's a fake sun. This mm -hmm. reflection in the uh, in the horizon. It was crazy. So, yeah, we'd like to hear comments about it. Yeah, we'll put it on the YouTube channel. Okay. All right. Perfect. All right. So, sorry to go on about my own stories. What do you got for us, Red? What do I have for you? Okay, let's talk about the sons or the son of God for starters. One of the most interesting news that have appeared this week uh, is related to the famous Shroud, Shroud of Turing. I don't know if you guys are interested in that uh, particular uh, mystery. I don't think so. <laughs> oh, you leave. Are you, you're, you're like, you're on a religious roll here with us. Are you, is there something going on that you want to tell us about? I I've, get... always, I've always had a, a religious, I don't know if religious, but definitely a spiritual aspect. Did you get you baptized know? like in Nacho Libre? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I don't know if I've ever mentioned it to you guys, but back in the days, I was a very devout Catholic. Uh, what days? Well, when, when I was in high school. Wow. To the point that for a very short uh, amount of time, I really toyed with the idea of <laughs> taking the vows or joining some kind of religious order. Maybe the Jesuit, you know. Like a priest? Yeah, priesthood. But then, but then I became completely disenchanted with the Catholic Church, you know. Not, not just about, you know, the usual stuff that people uh, criticize them for, and justly so, you know, you, you know what I mean, you know, how they treat homosexuals and how women, you know, cannot be ordained and all that. But also because, you know, I used to go with my, uh, my friends, you know, uh, when I was in my Catholic high school, you know, my teachers and all that, and I used to make them all sort of uh, UFO related questions, right? Like, uh, okay, so, so if God created the earth and created us humans, you know, what about, what about UFOs, you know, where the UFOs fit and all that sort of thing, you know, and usually they will either dismiss my questions altogether or, you know, or give me some really lame, really lame response, right? Like, oh, those are things of the devil or something like that, you know? Ah, uh -huh. so now you have an opportunity on the Gramerica show to talk about your your uh, religious conspiracies, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess because regardless, I've always found, uh, found uh, the Shroud of Turin, you know, fascinating. 
and you know uh, for people listening who might not be acquainted this the shroud of turin is uh, regarded by the catholic church as to be the the piece of cloth that covered the 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 death body of jesus christ after he was uh, taken down from the cross so uh, after he rose uh, according to the catholic religion after after he rose uh, from his grave uh, at, uh, uh, after the third day, you know, it, it was said that the, the imprint, uh, that the body was somehow imprinted on this cloth, you know, and to this day it is still revered as a very important religious relic in Turin, Italy. So obviously it has been a matter of contention and controversy to this day, you know. Uh, uh, some researchers uh, are adamant that it's not uh, some kind of uh, painting or something to that effect. Uh, skeptics obviously are, are not, do not agree with that. They point out to a radio carving test that was made in 1988, which apparently showed that the, the Turin uh, was only like 700 years old. So, in other in other words, it was some kind of medieval forgery. But then again, other researchers and scientists uh, were not satisfied with that conclusion, and they pointed out that whatever kind of process that produced the image. On the surface of the of the cloth, and it must be stressed out that this image is only present at the very top uh, part of the cloth. You know, only a, a, a few microns deep. You know, so uh, it 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 cannot be explained as you know some kind of pigment or paint that was somehow applied with a brush or something to that effect. And so there has to be some kind of processing bolt, some kind of um, energy which affected the shroud, somehow produced enough dehydration in the in the and now there there is this guy, an Italian scientist by the name of what is your name? Shit, I can't, I can't find him here. Uh, ah, Alberto Carpinteri of the Politecnico di Torino in Italy, who has come up with this new theory, trying to explain the energy which not only created the image of the shroud, but also affected the radio carbon dating. He says that maybe the, it was a result of some... Uh, neutron radiation which was triggered after some kind of uh, earthquake uh, in the year 33 AD which according to the religious text was the day when uh, Jesus was crucified huh and well it's an interesting it's an interesting uh, uh, theory you know some somehow trying to explain away this mysterious energy which somehow uh, created this like uh, 
well, like a fingerprint, you know, of the whole body of, well, this six foot tall bearded dude, which uh, uh, to the Catholics will be the dead body of Jesus Christ himself. But obviously, you know, no matter how much you will try to explain the, the, the processes that created this, uh, this shroud, I think it's impossible to try to pinpoint it and to, to directly link it to, to the figure of Jesus Christ, who is still, you know, a, ma a matter of historical contention, right? We, we really don't have hard, you know, incontrovertible evidence that Jesus ac uh, actually existed. Right, but is the phenomena itself strange enough, like not unexplainable? Well, depends who you ask to, you know, you know, to the skeptics, the the the, the shroud is a forgery, either a, a very clever painting, or I remember even that some people suggested that it had like the first example of a, a photography, like a photograph, right? Like it's okay, like yeah, yeah. how do you call it? Like the negative, you know, but instead of being a, imprinted of, on a, a piece of uh, paper or, or some kind of uh, silver emulsion, it, it, it was imprinted on, on this piece of cloth. And some people even suggested that well, it was none other than Leonardo da Vinci, the one who, who created the forgery for reasons that, well, we can only speculate about. But besides being a forgery, like let's assume it wasn't a forgery, then would it be unexplainable? Well, yes, because uh, apparently the imprint on the shroud is only uh, evident in the places where the 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 body of the, the of the man that was covered with it, you know, barely touched the the, the cloth, you know. So imagine yourself lying on a on on your bed and then putting your you know your your uh, a sheet over you right yeah so you will know that the the, the places the places of your body that will be most in, in in contact with the with the sheet will be for example your nose yeah your your forehead your chest you know and then other places will be less in contact with the shit, like, you know, your stomach or uh, your calves, your Bye. neck. Your eyes. Yeah. Exactly. So that's like the logic the, the guy's proposing, you know, an, uh, a supernatural, if you will, origin for the shroud. And also that, you know, some other people have studied the shroud and they have come to the conclusion that it really shows a very uh, detailed and very, uh, uh, how do you call it, very accurate uh, depiction of a man who was not only, you know, beaten and tortured, you know, that apparently the man uh, in the shroud has his nose broken. He also has uh, several like lacerations or, or um, wounds 
surrounding his forehead, which may, may, may be explainable as the result of the uh, famous uh, crown of thorns that was put on the head of Jesus by the, by the Roman soldiers on the day of his ex execution, and also the, the, the wounds on his uh, wrists that are according to what we now know uh, uh, that was the, the actual uh, method of execution that the Romans employed uh, to the people who were killed by crucifixion, right? So the, the classical depictions of the crucifixion the, most of them are wrong because they put the, the, the nails uh, piercing through the, the, the hands of Jesus right uh, on through the palm of the hand. And we know that that will be uh, not possible because the, the, the weight of his body will have, you know, made... Uh, It'll pull the, out, yeah. Yeah, the nail will have, you know, ghost go right through the 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 bones of the hand. So you're saying it really goes in the wrist. Yeah. Yeah. You really need to put it on the wrist, the, the bones, which are called the tar the tarsus, if I'm not mistaken. So that will be the, the place where you will want to, 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 to drive the nail through. Plus you, you, have, you have, at least you bleed to death a little faster if it's in your wrist. Crucifying 101. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be, be, yeah, because the whole point of crucifixion... You got to get it right in between those two arm bones. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the point of crucifixion is that you want to keep the... The, the guy the alive? Prisoner, the guy alive as long as you can possibly, you know, as physical possible, physically possible. Hmm. So the guys will last days, whole days, you know, uh, they're uh, nailed to the cross and they will slowly uh, die of suffocation because, you know, each time they will try to draw breath, uh, their own weight will try will, uh, push through their uh, diaphragm and each time they will draw less and less breath. So it's it's even worse than death by hanging. I can't get Monty Python and the life of Brian out of my head. Jesus. <laughs> so the shrouded turn to me seems like it's gauze from a hospital. You know, somebody's wrapped in gauze because he's bleeding. You know? Yeah, something yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, I've never been. I, I don't buy that shit. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah was always a huge yeah. shrouded turn fan. And yeah. Just, uh, uh, the conspiracy there. show uh, out of Toronto. There, we had him oh. on the one of our episodes. He he's he's talks about the shroud a lot. Well, I've always found it fascinating, not only because of my Catholic uh, past, so but also because of the books that I read since I was a teenager, with uh, that were written by Juan Jose Benitez titled Caballo de Troya. It's a whole saga of uh, nine to ten books, all dealing with uh, the life of Jesus. And he went into a lot of detail, you know, uh, explaining many aspects of the of the Shroud of Turin. Was it, was it fiction? 
or fact? Well, or not fact, but nonfiction. The guy says that, you know, the core of this story is based on real facts, you know, depending on how you want to interpret that. Hmm. Although it's a very, well, it's a very hard to believe story. You know, it, it deals with this time traveling super secret project from the American Air Force in 1973 that sent two uh, pilots to the time of Jesus. Now that's a twist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a twist. And it all goes from there, you know. But, well, I've really liked those books because not only they are incredibly detailed in all manner of aspects trying to depict, you know, uh, the customs and the the, the technology of, of those those years, you know, you, you almost it, it, it almost it really is like a travel guide, you know. It, 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 it's it's written like a, the journal of the the pilot who went to this to the time of Jesus called Jason, you know. So, so this so this guy is is keeping a journal while he's traveling to to all these places in Palestine in the in the in the year thirty. AD and well they're amazing unfortunately they they they're never been translated to english one day one day juan jose benitez keeps telling that until henry kinsinger is still alive he will not be able to to bring it bring it to the american audience take that for hey, did you see the seti people said they'll find alien life by 2040 Intelligent yeah, 2040? 2040. That's what says, Seth Shostak said. Why so long? Like, well, it's just giving a number, man. I think, to me, it's like Ray Kurzweil saying that we will reach the singularity by 2025. 2025 or 2045? Mm, I think it's 2025. Yeah, 10 years. And then I'm sure that by 2015, he will say, you know what? I think that by 2045. What if, and it, then what if in 2015, it'll be like next year, bitches. <laughs> and then in, in 2016, he dies. And then he takes off like fucking Iron Man. <laughs> Fucks up Godzilla. Dude, I'm 40 years old. Is And since I was a teenager, I've been hearing that how nuclear fusion is just around the corner you know in just in the next 20 years or so and they keep they've been seeing that since the last 20 years maybe so, it is though maybe it was and it's just fucking all the oil and gas money fucking eliminating people and buying shit up <laughs> look now who is the the believer <laughs> the Telling you about it's possible. oh yeah we're gonna do a show on uh on alternate energies. I'd like to get a real good nuke Ooh. guy on that can tell us the science of behind like the new reactors and shit yeah. that they're not yeah. building. We're still using reactors that are 40 yeah. years old. Yeah. Well, we're well, not. In that, but... in that show, you should cover the infamous Rosie e -Cat. You know, these like uh, device that is said to, to, to run on free energy. Leeds government. Sorry? Leedskillman had a device, supposedly, too. Remember? Well, this guy, the Italian scientist, Rosie, has been covered by Mysterious Universe a number of times, and he's still making the claims that he has 
is the vice and that it runs. You should be hooking up with your boy Greer. Of with course. this fucking free energy place there. Richard. <laughs> well, let's, uh, should we move on to this episode with, uh, so we'll Artie? be, a, we'll be alive in 2040. We'll see. 2040. That's well, only 25 uh, years. Oh yeah. It'll happen before then. Be fucking working. It'll happen in five years. Five years. You're calling it. We need a red book. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hope it happens earlier because then I will, I will uh, quit my job then. You will? Hopefully, yeah. if we have free energy, we won't have uh, a reason to work, right? Well, I think I don't think that takes that away. It just makes it more cheap. It makes it cheaper, maybe more manageable. But you're still gonna have to like a lot of shit's still gonna have to get done. Like free energy doesn't build buildings. Free energy doesn't make podcasts. Free energy doesn't, you know, do a okay. lot of things. Clean the streets. So we will have free energy by 2017. No, 2021. Okay, by 2021, we will have free energy. We will probably also have um, very sophisticated uh, 3D printers. But it's not going to be free energy. It'll just be like you can't call it free energy because we're still going to pay for it. Super, super, super cheap energy then. It'll be free energy that costs an arm and a leg. Well, we'll pay for it, hopefully, for our kids type it thing. It will be Netflix energy. <laughs> <laughs> Only $9 a month. Exactly. That wouldn't be so bad. And then cars that run on that shit and everything eventually, right? No more fuel. And then, and then there will be the Pirate Bay, Pirate Bay energy. And then genetically modified fucking hamburgers for all. Driven to you by a free energy drone. Okay, and five guys will take over the planet. <laughs> exactly. And that is the Grimerica prediction. <laughs> Sorry, I thought my prediction my prediction of five years wasn't for free energy, it was for aliens. So sorry. Mm. Fuck the aliens. I'll take man. you up on that. That'll be that's not happening. We want five, five guys, not the aliens. <laughs> zero zero chance that happens in five years. No, I don't believe it either. But I think we'll discover intelligent life or some sort of life on another planet before we find aliens visiting us. We will probably find uh, signs of uh, organic life in another planet, maybe in the next five to ten years. It'll be baby steps, right? Organic life and then aquatic life and then, you know, yeah. bipedal life. Some fucking crazy reptoids bust out of Europa. Start fucking shit up. <laughs> I want to be alive for that. Yeah, you'll be I will, alive, you'll be I will alive definitely, forever. I will definitely like to, like to see some uh, pro, you know, taking a video from the oceans of Europa. That will be very cool. Yeah, yeah. That might happen. Hey, your new iPhone can take picture underwater, Darren. Send it up that to Europa. Fuck yeah, I'll throw it. <laughs> I don't know which way to throw it. Is Europa Jupiter? I know where Jupiter is. I can find yeah. Jupiter in this night sky pretty quick. Yeah, it's one of the moons of uh, Jupiter. I'll check it out with my telescope. Jupiter's got the coolest named moons. Europan? Here's Europan. <laughs> Europa, Callisto. Titan, right? Oh. Titan, Titan, Saturn. Titan, Titan, Saturn. Saturn. Yeah, Ganymede. Yeah, Gamines or whatever. Gamines. Yeah. 
Sounds like a fucking pizza joint. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we better get moving on with this episode. Darren, it's getting late here. What do you think? Yeah, we should jump into our episode with uh, Artie Six Killer Clark. Thanks for coming on, Red. Anytime, guys. And uh, enjoy the chat with Artie, and we'll see you guys on the other side. Okay, guys, uh, tonight here in Grimerica, we're going to be talking with uh, author Artie Sixkiller Clark um, about some uh, Native American folklore and, and star people and, and things like that. But first, as always, how's it going tonight, Graham? Hey, Darren, I'm doing pretty good, buddy. Other than running late? Yeah, good to be here. <laughs> yeah, I've heard Artie on, uh, on a few different uh, podcasts and radio shows, so I'm really excited to have her on. Um, Artie, Artie Sixkiller Clark is a Dr. Artie Sixkiller Clark is a professor emeritus at Montana State University and has dedicated her life and career to working with indigenous populations. She's a, been adopted by enrolled tribal members and given traditional names by three Northern Plains spiritual leaders, including the Blackfeet, that's the women, women, women with great knowledge, the Northern Cheyenne, I'll have to ask her, to, Cheyenne. <laughs> Walks, uh, walks all women and the Lakota Sioux, women who helps people. So, and she's got uh, the latest book, which we're going to be mainly talking about here, is Encounters with Star People, Untold Stories of American Indians. So we'd like to uh, welcome you to Grimerica, Artie. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, welcome to the show. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm actually, myself, I am, uh, I've got a Ojibwe background. Oh, Really? Yeah, yeah, out of uh, out of northern Ontario, but I've, we've made our way. I've made my way out to to Alberta now. Oh, so you guys are in Canada? Yeah, we're. I'm a Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're in Calgary. Oh, okay. I've been to Calgary. What'd you think? Well, I I, I like I like the northern country. Um, I'm a. Uh, I grew up, you know, in North Carolina and West Virginia and the Appalachian and Smoky Mountains, but um, I, I fell in love with the Rockies uh, many, many years ago and uh, decided this is where I'd make my home. And, and uh, I get to Canada maybe once a year, and uh, I love the people and I love the country. Oh, that's good. Yeah, you're just in Montana, right? Right. I'm, I'm, I'm just a neighbor. I'm pretty new to Calgary, so I haven't I haven't actually driven down that uh, that side yet. It's like five hours to uh, where's that place to go golf in? Um, white white something. White fish. White, white fish. fish. White, white fish. fish. Right. 
Yeah, the guy's yeah you would go, there. you'd come down probably very close, or if not, into the Blackfeet Indian Reservation. Ah. You know, Glacier is right there, and they're right on the border of Glacier National Park. BC. That's a nice one. That's yeah. a little nicer than Alberta. I'll give it that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I guess we should get into your, your book here, which is it's quite fascinating. I mean, it's uh, it's kind of a one of a kind, I think. I've heard you talk about it on a few different shows, so it's, it's really just great to to talk to you about it. But um, what it, I guess you spent a lot of time living um, with Indigenous people and... and um, you know, meeting with them and building trust in order to uh, compilate this this book about, I guess, encounters with star people. Well, you know, I was uh, the director of the Center for Bilingual Multicultural Education at Montana State University and uh, a professor of educational leadership. And when I came to Montana State, um, there weren't a lot of, of, of Native people who were uh, working as teachers and school administrators in um, reservation schools. So one of the goals of Montana State was to establish a program where we would go out and recruit Native students and offer them scholarships and bring them into Montana State and and um, uh, um, uh, 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 help them uh, obtain degrees in teacher education, either in elementary or secondary. Secondary was was really badly needed, and also school administrators, because most of the people who were working with the children were non-Indian, and we wanted to have role models in the schools who were Native. And um, so I spent a lot of time out in the field uh, uh, at different reservations over my 30-year tenure at, at Montana State and got to know many, many people and, and uh, um, you know, uh, many places I went, I felt like I was going home. And uh, I just became a part of a lot of the communities and and participated in in um, spiritual events and powwows and, and uh, really got to know the people. Hmm. Did you, did you ever... Um... I was just thinking uh, on the weekend there, I was at a sweat lodge. Um, did you do Oh, I've been in like, many sweat lodges, yeah. yes. Yeah, yes. they're pretty, very powerful. Uh, <clears throat> they uh, are. They are very powerful. Yeah, we got a couple here locally that uh, that we can go to. It's pretty cool. I want to take Darren one of these days. He's the, well, he's we the even native, had and one. I'm the one going to sweat lodges. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we have, uh, uh, over the years, had a sweat lodge here, uh, not on campus, but in the in the area uh, of the university for students, and of course the students are the ones who initiate it. And um, uh, we've had uh, non-Indians participate, you know, in the in the in the sweat lodge. Do you, uh, the woman who put on my sweat lodge uh, on the weekend there, she was talking about a Sundance that she she's been to a couple different Sundances. Have you ever? Um... Participated in that, or do you guys? Have well, I've down never there? participated, but I've uh, I've gone to Sundances. Yeah. Um, I have a nephew who uh, holds a Sundance now. He is a a Sundance man, and he holds a Sundance at Cherry Creek in South Dakota every year. Oh yeah, and yeah, and so um, you know, I'm very familiar uh, with the Sundance. 
is that the type that you know, like um, it would go on for a few days, and then there'd be people yes. from the community community coming in for healing and stuff like that. Well, um, this is is um, uh, the Sundance is here, um, and and I'm my nephew is Lakota, um, and so uh, they pierce uh, and they they dance for for uh, three days, yeah, and yeah. Um, so. Um, and uh, different tribes hold sun dances in different ways. Some, yeah, right. some just paint, uh, some pierce, uh, and um, uh, but the Lakota, you know, still maintain their traditional ways. And there are several sun dances held um, throughout the year in uh, in Lakota territory. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds interesting. I'd love to. I'd love to. Uh, you know, obviously not really participate, but attend one or, or be part of that, the healing uh, part afterwards. Well, you know, um, people are, are uh, you know, people are welcomed, but, you know, you can't videotape, you can't record anything, you can't bring cameras, and, and they're very, that's, that's a very strict uh, rule. And um, and because, you know, it's, it is a, it is a religious ceremony. And, yeah, yeah. and, um, so uh, it's very important as long as you honor um, uh, the spiritual traditions of the people. Um, I've never seen anybody turned away. But if you don't honor that, then you are turned away. What, what does your nephew think about your, your book, The Encounters with Star People? Like, do you talk to your family? You know, you I talk haven't to your talked family? to him. I, I uh, have um, been trying to get in touch with him. He's uh, snowbound over in South Dakota right now because uh, I'm planning a trip down to Mexico, and uh, I'd like for him to go with me if he, if he has the time. Um, I haven't, uh, he hasn't had a chance to visit some of those ancient sites down there and and meet, I want him to meet some of the Maya uh, shaman. And so I'm uh, hoping that uh, the weather is going to clear down here. And aren't you guys under that freeze up there in Canada? No, we actually just got out of like two weeks of unseasonably warm weather. Well, we had that here in Montana, but last night it was 12 below. And we're expecting even colder weather the next few days. And we're under a storm watch right now. Yeah, I think we're supposed to get a little colder, like on Thursday. But I th- I'm hoping we're done with the the minus thirty bullshit. <laughs> we had that about a month ago here. It's Saturday. Last Saturday, it was so nice out. It felt like summer. I was uh, snowshoeing in shorts. Oh my goodness! Yeah, it was absolutely beautiful. So we're lucky in Calgary because we have that little Chinook or whatever. Like it, it gets warm enough to kind of feel like spring for a bit. So it's not like well, it, not we haven't we haven't had a lot of snow. We've just had extremely cold weather, but the mountains um and the ski resorts are really getting the snow here this year. Yeah, I don't know if our I don't think ours are really. It's weird. We almost have more snow here than in the ski resorts. That's one yeah, thing well, I got to do still this year is go skiing. Yeah. We just want to see the snow in the mountains, you know? As long as we get the snow in the mountains, we'll have water for the summer. Oh yeah, right. So where are you so going in Mexico? You're going to hit some ancient sites like uh, uh, well, Chichen Itza. I always, uh, I always go to to Piste. I have uh, friends in Piste who uh, run a hotel there, 
and that's my base. And then from there, you know, I'll I'll go out into the small villages and um, and definitely one of my places to go is Palenque. It's uh, uh, have you ever been there to Palenque, Mexico? No, I haven't. Have you been, Darren? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. I, yeah. No, well, I meant I thought, uh, Darren here. I think Darren, did you go? Where did you go? You went to Chichen Itza. I went to or? Tulum and or, Chichen Itza. Yeah. Yeah, and that's where Piste is. And I go to that village oh. and stay in that village. And uh, then from there, I just branch out. Palenque is a day's drive away. Uh, Ushmal, did you go to Ushmal? I'm not sure. I might have. So Palenque or or Piste is the little town that's like actually the little town you drive through right before you get to Chinchen Itza. Yes. Uh huh. Oh yeah. Then I've been there. I actually went for uh, lunch. Lunch at a little place there, but you didn't go to Ushmal, though. Right? I don't know. I, what's I'm not familiar with with Ushmal is that, is is that the, what the place is the, is the ancient city that that reportedly reportedly was built by a dwarf. I don't know. I was oh, we went to one little town by there that had a a real old Spanish church in it. Well, that that could be any town <laughs> in Mexico. <laughs> I can't remember. It was like the oldest one, maybe. Or I I can't remember. There was something special about it. Anyway, <sighs> it was part of the tour stop. I thought I, I thought I heard that you were going to write a book about uh, more of the South American. I am definitely. I'm I'm <laughs> almost finished with it. Oh really? Um, I started out well when I was in high school. Um, I was. Uh, handed a book by uh, a teacher, and it was called um, Travels. Um, uh, it was it was by uh, um, a man by the name of John L. Stevens, and it was about his exploits with his his uh, partner, um, uh, um, uh, Frederick Catherwood, and Catherwood was, was an architect by training, but they were the actually uh, the first people. They believed they had heard these rumors of these ancient cities in the jungles, and so they set out on this mission to find them. And they set out in 1839, and they wrote two books about their adventures uh, uh, because they made two trips. And Catherwood made the most magnificent drawings of these cities that the world had ever seen. Well, world didn't even know these places existed, and. Um, I decided when I was a teenager that I was going to make this trip and I was going to follow in the footsteps of these two explorers. And as I gathered, you know, over the years, I gathered these stories. And then, of course, you know, you always hear this ancient astronaut theory that uh, Von Daniken came up with, you know, that these cities weren't really built by the by the native people. They were built by aliens, you know, that came to came to the earth and and uh, uh, they built the cities that the Maya and Aztec and Incas had nothing to do with it. Yeah. And he's made millions. Uh, you know, I think he sold 48 million books to date, and he just keeps putting out books uh, based on this theory. And so as time progressed, I not only wanted to follow in their footsteps, but I wanted to go out and and see for myself if there was any basis for all of these things that he was writing about Native mm-hmm. people. Yeah. And so that's what I did. I set out to follow in their footsteps and cool. to collect stories. Oh, and great. I not only wanted to collect 
the ancient stories, I wanted to talk to the local people about star travelers and about UFOs, and, and it's, it was just an amazing journey. I actually spent nine years going to Mexico every time I got a chance. Uh, and to Central America. I started out in Belize, and just like they did, yeah. and then I went to Guatemala, or Honduras, Guatemala, and Mexico. Wow. What were the two books again? What were the names of the books? Um, travels, uh, you mean uh, the Stevens and Catherwood? Yeah. Uh, one is called um, Travels in the, in the uh, let's see, the Yucatan, Chiapas, and the other one is called Travels in the Yucatan. Okay. The second one was called Travels in the Yucatan because on that trip, they just went to Mexico. They took a boat, and I think um, they landed in um, uh, near Merida. Um, Merida is about 60 miles inland from the ocean, but they, they landed there. And so what I did is I wanted to visit the sites that Stevens and Catherwood visited, but at the same time, I wanted to to collect stories, and just like the two of them, I'd hear a rumor or a story or somebody would lead me off in a different direction. So they said they visited 44 ancient cities. To date, I have visited 89. Wow. So do you, do you have any uh, personal, like, rituals or anything like that you do? Like, when you go to an ancient site, do you... Do you meditate or anything, or is there, like, is there anything you do to try and pick up, uh, I don't know, like energy or, or <clears throat> you know, like... Well, I always say prayers to the four directions, and I always leave something. Okay. Um, you know, just a, a, a token. Like tobacco it, or something? Like yeah. That. Well, I may leave tobacco, or I may leave a stone, or something, you know, that is, um, that I feel is a part part of me. Right. Uh, and, and in a lot of the sites that I go to, um, those ancient um, ceremonies of the Maya are still going on, and you will see um, evidence of the, that, you know, they've had a prayer ceremony there because they've left behind uh, a common thing that you'll see that they believe is, is not tobacco, but more like corn or beans. Oh. And uh, they will leave the, you know, the little kernels. And I've been in a number of Maya um, ceremonies, and, you know, corn is really important in the use of their ceremonies, and they even make a corn drink that they use. So it's a, it's an interesting, um, it, it's an interesting path to follow. Oh yeah, it's it's fascinating. And it, and if you go on to Amazon and just type in John L. Stevens and Frederick uh, um, Catherwood, you'll you'll uh, you'll be able to find their books. They're still in print. Yep, and you and, can use the Amazon portal right on the bottom of the Grimerica page. Right. My wife actually got to meditate at uh, Tulum. We found oh, quiet, really? We found a quiet little spot, and we, she snuck over the little fence and meditated. That's cool. Well, that's a beautiful sight, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It's great. It was great. That Caribbean there and that, that uh, or the the temple there of the, des the descending god uh, there on the edge of that cliff. It's just amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's a beautiful view and the nice blue ocean down below. Oh, it's, it's just, breathtaking. It's oh, I gotta, yeah. I gotta go there. Yeah. yeah, you do. I mean, it's, I it's amazing. <laughs> but Palenque is a place that will forever, um, 
ever, you know, it'll, it'll, you'll have an image that in your mind that you'll never forget. You know, it's, it's rather interesting because if you, if you go there, you know, it's, it's in the Chiapas and it's in the high mountain region there. And, and the city is built in the mountains and, um, it's, um, um, it's just a magnificent city. I mean, it's just, you just can't imagine how beautiful it is against that dark forest. And here are these, these huge temples. And at one time, Palenque was painted red. And uh, I was talking to a Hopi elder once, and he told me, he said, well, you know, the people of the great knowledge lived in the city of red. I like the red ochre. Yeah, it was a red ochre. You know, a lot of those cities. Now, as you go to um, to Copan, the uh, there's evidence there that they used mica with the gold. So, can you imagine a city that they could see for miles away that just glistened when the sun shined on it, like wow. it was like it was gold? Oh, wow. I mean, it was just amazing. So, huh. those places are are amazing to see. So what's your what's your favorite uh, like wh- which one sort of sticks in your heart the most? Well, of course I I you know I love Chichen Itza, but Palenque is probably my favorite place to go. Yeah. But there are some smaller sites too that are just you know that are just amazing. Um, I I happened upon this one site. Um, uh, it's called Lombieto, and it is actually a, a Zapotec site uh, up in. Um, I, I, w- I drove up to um, uh, Oaxaca and and uh, went through San Cristobal and left Palenque and went to San Cristobal and then up through Oaxaca and uh, visited all those sites up there. Well, when you get to up into that part of the country uh, of Mexico, you're you know with a, a, the Maya. There aren't so many Maya there. There there more is Zapotec and Mixtec and uh, dozens of other tribes. And um, um, this Lambieto is uh, um, it's a Zapotec site, and uh, it's right on Highway 170. I mean, if you weren't looking for it, you'd miss it. But um, somebody told me about it uh, that I was talking to about this city that was once built by a man from the stars. So I went to this this um, village, and uh, they told me the story about. Um, one day, uh, and this was an ancient story, that one day a man came down um, uh, from the sky on a beam of light, and he stood on this rock, and that he stayed there for several days, and then he took a wife from the local village, and he lived there, and he built this great city, and then one day... Or when his son, he, he and his wife had a child, and it was a boy child. And when the boy got old, uh, old enough, he took a wife. And when that happened, the man went back to this rock and stood on this rock and went back to the sky on a beam of light. And I was so fascinated with this that I had to go, go visit and talk to the people and. Uh, so it was, you know, I ran on to college students that were concerned about environmentalism, I, you know, that were out there, uh, you know, their concern was uh, the, um, you know, the, the Maya, you know, do, um, they, will, they will burn little patches of ground to grow their corn. 
and the majority of the Maya who live in in uh, Mexico still live the old way, you know, of their ancestors. You know, they live, they grow little corn patches, and they cut out places in the jungle, and they they grow their corn, and they live in in houses that, uh, uh, you know, without running water. Um, they they uh, dirt floors. Uh, you know, they live a very traditional um, um, existence and are the happiest, the happiest people I've ever met. Yeah, isn't that funny, eh? Less, yeah. Less, less technology, more tradition, and very happy. So, so there's and still, less stress. Yeah, and less stress. So there's still quite a few of them left then? I keep. I thought I heard that. Oh, yes. Yeah, I would actually. Well, there are about 15,000 Maya in about six, uh, 15,000, 15 million. There's about 6 million in Mexico. Really? Wow. Yeah, full bloods. And, you know, then you have the next group that are, uh, the mestizos who are Maya and uh, um, Spanish, and they're generally um, more educated. Uh, many of them, you know, they go to school and and they, um, you know, they learn English or French. A lot of the the mestizo are employed in the tourism business. They work in hotels and they, you know, um, go to school and become masseuse and they become drivers and interpreters and guides and all sorts of things. So if I was to take a week and, and visit some of those ancient sites around uh, Mexico, like if I went to Peace Day, would, would, would I be able to do quite a bit in a week there? Oh, yes. Yeah, like see quite a few sites? Oh, Yeah. Like you know, a, you're you're a day's drive. Well, it's take you about four or five hours to go to Ushmal, which is you know uh, one of the popular sites, and then another four or five hours to drive over to Palenque. But you know, in between those sites, there are other places that you can stop along the way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, there's Mayapan, there's Izna, there's uh, just a lot. You know, places between there that you can stop and visit. Cool. Yeah, I'm just and and from from this day you can go to to uh, uh, Ake. You can go. There are a lot of different places. Uh, Ekbalam. Um, even in Cancun, there's two sites in Cancun that you can visit. And um, so I always fly into Cancun. Yeah, yeah. And then from there, you know, it's like a, um, oh, a two-hour drive to Piste. Right. Okay. So. Very There's cool. a lot of things you can do, and you know, and the and the prices are really reasonable too. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, do a lot of the stories cross over? Like, uh, do you, do you notice a difference? In, there is a difference. Yeah. In the in the tales between the between the north and the south. Yes. Um, there's, um, uh, you know, uh, what enters in, I think, more in 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 the uh, among the Maya people is. Um, more um, a mixture of religion uh, and superstition than you see among American Indians. Um, I I met a young man who, well, I met several people who told me stories that did not want them repeated simply because people might think they were a witch or they might think that they, you know, uh, were communicating with the devil. Um, 
know, it's taboo. You know, a lot of and and sometimes they'll go. You know, fun. Uh, their uh, evangelical religion is is becoming very popular in some of those uh, communities, as well as uh, Mormonism, um, and and um, although the majority of the people are still Catholic, there's been major inroads made with evangelicals and with a Mormon faith. And um, I was in one one little community uh, of like 30 people where there was a um, a Catholic church, um, uh, uh, a uh, Jehovah Witness, um, well, they don't call them churches. I forget what they call them, uh, but it's some kind of a center where they gather. And there was... Uh, a Mormon church, and thirty people lived in the in the community, and uh, so there's a lot of missionary work going on in that part of the world. Hmm. And so, uh, this one young man, I, I recall that he, I will tell his story in the book. You know, he was he was a uh, um, he he said that you know his preacher would say that that he was if if. You know, this UFO was from the devil, and uh, that they weren't supposed to pay any attention to stuff like that, to flee those kind of things. And so, it, it, and then I, I interviewed a priest who actually was uh, encountered uh, an alien being when he was a boy, and he told me that story. So there is a great variety in the stories that that uh, that. Uh, I got, you know, I was able to get in Mexico and Central America. And you also got a lot of uh, ancient tales, like, or what am I trying to say? Yes. Like, like tales handed down over right. the generations from and there, that's, too? And that's what I tried to do, you know. I, I always tried to tell, you know, like in Belize, there's a um, uh, there's a ancient site there. Um, when translated, it means stone woman. Well, the story goes that Back in in ancient times, this young hunter went out to hunt, and uh, at the at the base of the pyramid there was there was a a cave, and standing there he saw this unbelievably beautiful woman, and she stood motionless, and she had this long flowing hair. She was dressed all in white, and he he dropped his bow and he ran back to the village and he told them about this magnificent woman that was standing there and so the villagers all go out to see her but she's not there but as the years pass they keep seeing this woman and and uh, they say that uh, some people say she ascends on a beam of light. Some people say she walks into the cave and she never comes out. Some people say she walks through the, the stone temple and never they never see her again. And so these stories are traditional stories. And the town is, is uh, like I say, when translated, means woman of stone or stone woman. And... Um, so I caught up with the uh, help of my driver with uh, 
a shaman who said, well, you know, she's she's uh, from the stars. You know, there's no question in his mind. And he says, what happens is she's so powerful that she, when uh, she has these red glowing eyes, and when she looks upon you, if you look upon her beauty, you know, she she literally mesmerizes these men, and they don't know what they're talking about. But he says, I don't look at her. I just watch what's going on. I don't let her look into my eyes. And I saw her, you know, ascend into the sky, and then I saw this UFO fly away. And so it's not only an ancient story, but it's a story that keeps growing um, and changing with the decades, according to whoever tells it, which is what all stories do, you know. I mean, people add their own little version. So it was kind of interesting to... to, um, see the development of that story and how it's changed over the years. Hmm. And then you also have a mix of, of these people seeing modern or, you know, reporting modern sightings, right? Yes, I do have that. You know, I have uh, um, uh, a story from, uh, uh, and it's, it's interesting sometimes when you, when you um, are talking to village people, because, uh, um, many of them have not always experienced some of the things. I mean, I've met people that have never been out of their little village, mm-hmm. and you know, and and they they described one of uh, these two women described the uh, spacecraft as as uh, looking like um, they had seen uh, these long tanker ca- trucks, like that carry gasoline or fuel on the highways. And so they described the spacecraft like that. Well, that would be, you know, like a cigar shape that is very common in UFO right, right. Uh, research. But that's how they described it, you know. And um, I met one elder that had the most amazing story to tell of how he had been taken on board uh, 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 this craft that circles the Earth. And he says, on board this this this. Uh, uh, city in the sky, as he called it, um, people from uh, every color, every language, all over the world. They will, they live on this. Uh, um, they live Craft. in this city, yeah. and 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 it, it, I guess it's like a big space station or something. Alicia. You know the way he described it. Yeah. And he talks about that he they they started taking him when he was a little boy, and how over the years his role. Uh, changed and 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 uh, that the children that were there as he aged he became known as honored grandfather and but his purpose was always to teach them about the medicines and the plants and the flowers and the fruits and all the things of the Maya people so that that was his role um in the in the city in the sky or his role? On, right. On the that earth? was his role in the city in the sky. And they would come for him and he would go. And he said the first time they took him, he was really upset because it was getting very close to his birthday and birthdays were really celebrated in his village. And he was afraid he was going to miss his birthday. And, um, and so he said, but they brought him back. And over time, you know, he kept being introduced to other children and, 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 uh, uh, you know, he would talk about, and then once he was taken to their planet, uh, I think more than once he was taken to their planet, and he told me about their planet. It was a really fascinating, fascinating story. Hmm. So you'll have to buy that book and read that story because that story alone is worth it. 
Now, that's from the the old book? The new one. Oh, the, the new, new one. one. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. So, yes, look, and it should be coming out in the fall, or, you know, in, late, in the late fall. Oh, okay, good. In time for Christmas. Right. So was there any modern reports, like any triangular sightings, anything like that, like anything that would... Kind of. There were uh, triangular sightings in um, uh, among um, and that were in my book of uh, a couple of people. Uh, a couple saw one, and also a um, um, uh, a man and his son saw one when they were coming back from a from a game. He was a police officer. Um, I also, and th- these, uh, this woman was not native, but I've written this up in Fate Magazine, but uh, she told me a story, and this story comes out of Alaska, of a, of a UFO. Uh, she had gone shopping with her friend, and they were coming home to their, uh, their village, um, and um, she said they rounded a bend, in the road, and hanging out of the of this cliff, this where the road had, you know, when when they're building roads and they cut away the road and they leave these almost perpendicular hills, you know, where they just cut the road and they don't do anything with it. Yeah. And she said, hanging out of the cliff was an automobile, half oh. inside and half out. I remember this story. I remember where I was driving when I heard you tell that story. Actually. Yeah. And it's just the most amazing story in the world, you know. I mean, and, you know, you think about, you know, the elder told me the story. And one of my favorite people of all told me the story of of the UFO that visited his property and he would watch them lower a a vehicle. And then they would um, um, drive off with with these beings in it, and he was positive that they were infiltrating uh, the human race. And these women, they told the story of following this car when it was lowered to the ground and and uh, seeing these uh, these individuals get out of this vehicle at an air at the airport. Wow. And so, you know, there are some interesting stories out there. And this woman came up to me. She said, you know, I know you collect stories from from uh, Native people, but she says, I have a story to tell, and I need to tell somebody because, um, and she was a pastor's wife. And she said, uh, I've, I never, I always heard stories, she told me, about UFOs. I never believed it. I just figured it was somebody seeing something. But she said, after I had this experience, and then she took me to her friend's house, and her friend corroborated what she said. Hmm. Her friend was very frightened. And, and that story is from your book, the, your first book, the book that's out now, right? Encounters with Star People. The woman isn't because I only told stories, I only related stories that were told by right. uh, and, Native people. Yeah, and, right, but right. this story is actually written up in, um, in a, a, a forthcoming issue of Fate magazine.
did you were you sort of participating in the UFO community like you know decades ago or or when you sort of decided that you were gonna make this compilation this book were you well in, you were know you kind I of involved up... in modern ufology or no no not at all um, I had grown up hearing stories about the star people you know old stories um, uh, and so when I um, and and you know I I came out when I was recruited and came out to Montana State University and was uh, uh, hired on faculty. Um, I had uh, gone out one uh, one week to different reservations to uh, recruit students, and I had contacts on each one of the reservations, and they were setting up meetings and. And for me to meet with students and talk to them about coming to MSU, and and um, uh, the the man who set up the meeting for me on this one reservation after we finished, he said, "Would you like to go to dinner?" And I said, "Sure." So we drove to a a nearby community that had a restaurant, and we had dinner. And on the way back, um, he said, "Well, before you go on back to MSU," he said. Uh, uh, do you have a few minutes? He said, I'd like to show you something. And I said, sure. So we went up in the mountains above his village, and he parked a car, and he reached over the glove compartment. He pulled out a pair of binoculars, and he said, if we're lucky, they'll, they'll come. And I said, who? And he said, well, the ancestors, the star people. And I was just really shocked because I thought, you know, all these years I thought I was the only one who knew about the star people. And, and I, you know, uh, I'd been told, you know, you don't need to talk about them, that these are our stories. And so we sat out on this big rock over his village, but the star people didn't come. <laughs> and all the way back, I'm thinking, back to the university, I'm thinking, I wonder if, how many people out there have stories. And so as I got to, you know, to know my way around and and visit with people, um, I started, you know, casually. This would be, you know, maybe if I stayed over a weekend or maybe in the evenings, if I went out to dinner with a group, um, I, we would start you know, it would just be casual conversation. I'd say, well, do any of you have stories about star people or UFOs or anything? And so I just started collecting their stories. And that's how it, how it became. And then, then word got around that I like, I like stories about UFOs and star people. And so people would, would sometimes search me out and say, I have a story. Do you want to hear it? Well, I had done this for about 25 years and wow. and thought, well, you know, uh, I'm not really going to do anything with it because, you know, I'm a I'm a um an academic, <laughs> you know, I I don't need to be writing UFO books. And so um I retired from Montana State and was pretty happy with just, you know, traveling and going about and doing my own thing and and uh I got a call, and they asked me, uh, the U.S. government wanted me to um, um, 
be a part of a, a project that was taking place on us. A million-dollar grant had been awarded to a tribe and asked me to evaluate it. So I went to Washington with the, with the uh, reservation team, and, and uh, I did the training and everything and all the information. And then the next couple of weeks, I went down to the reservation, drove over there, and, and um, I'm having lunch with a group of women. And and uh, somehow the subject turned to UFOs, and I don't think I instigated. I think I just it was just a, you know a, something that came up, and so I started telling them about a couple of the stories that I had collected. And this one older woman looked at me and said, "Well, what are you going to do with those stories?" And I said, "Well, nothing." And she said, "Well." What's going to happen to them when you pass? And I said, well, I suppose my husband will clean out everything and throw it away. And she said, you know, that's a part of our oral history. And you have a, I think you have an obligation to write this. Almost a responsibility. Yeah. And so, you know, on the way back home, I thought, now I can either write this book or I can take this job. Oh. And I had spent my life doing this kind of work, you know. And I thought, you know, I don't want to do it anymore. I think I'll write the book, and that's what I did. Wow. And so I turned down the job, and they got themselves somebody else, and I spent that that winter writing the book. And by the next spring, I had the, I had the first draft finished, and by um, July, I had the book to a publisher. So that must have been interesting for you then to – now have published this UFO book in this crazy community of, you know, ufology. I mean, how has how is, how is the response been? How has your, how is, uh, you know, your introduction to the whole field been? I mean, it must have been pretty crazy. Well, you know, I, you know, my response on campus, you know, uh, some of the native, uh, some of the native uh, professors on campus have uh, apparently read the book and, and have liked it, have found it extremely interesting. Uh, on on the other hand, you know, I've met with a, um, some criticism from the UFO community, um, uh, from researchers who who say, well, you know, where's the proof? And I say, you know, I'm a I'm a um, I'm not a hard scientist. I'm a social scientist. I listen to the people, and they tell me their stories. And that's what I write. And I come at it from a perspective, not as an outsider, not as an observer. I come at it from a perspective of an insider. And what you tell me, I don't question. I don't uh, ask you to furnish me with proof. I try to stay out of it. And you tell me, I let the story develop on itself. Yeah, I, I love that. Yeah. And so that's that's how I I tell the stories, and so I've had a few critics, but most people are have been very, um, um, and and I've been you know I was invited to speak at the International UFO Conference down in Fort McDowell, and and um, I'm only one of three women, so the the field is dominated by men, as you well know. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. I was at the so, conference last year. It was great. So you, I, oh, yeah. I think yeah, I'm going to uh, be there this oh, in, a, in a couple of weeks. In fact, do you, do you know when you're uh, when you're speaking or when you're planning? I'm speaking on Thursday, Thursday, Thursday okay. afternoon. Okay. Yeah. Where are you going again? I don't know. I'm, oh. I I might 
just try and get like a last. That would be great. I get to meet you. Yeah, yeah. I I really don't think so, but uh, you never know. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. So did did you get any like if you're your I suppose um, admission to the UFO field was pretty pretty smooth. Have you got any blowback from the native community, or has it all been all been pretty positive? Well, you know, I haven't heard a lot from the native community. The only um, the only um, 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 comments I've I've received have been from, like I said, my you know colleagues um, or uh, at the university, but. Um, I have, so I haven't really heard anything, you know, from the native community. I, I don't go on online and look to say, Google myself because if there's a lot of criticism out there, I don't even care to know about it. You know, um, I just stay away from that kind of, kind of thing. So I, I'm not sure. Hmm. You have a... But, you know, I think any, any native who would read it, uh, would know that, it's an honest account of, of, you know, of what I, what I heard and, and the stories I collected. I don't, I just don't think that they would have a lot of criticism. No, obviously the people who told you the stories trusted you. Mm-hmm. And I you. think the native, com- I think the native community would, would recognize that. Yeah. Do you have a, do you have a, a favorite story? I do. You know, it's a, it's Leland's story. Um, Leland was a, he was an expert drum maker and he lived in a, in a very isolated section, uh, of the, of the reservation, uh, had, uh, only been gone one time. He was drafted and, and was sent to war. And there were several of, uh, his, friends that went to war and he was the only survivor and when he he came back um he he just never left the reservation and he lived on his father's place and he had uh, uh he lived alone and occasionally he would have friends that would drop in and stay a couple of weeks and then they would go away and then another friend might come but you know basically he lived by himself and he, um, I, I had a colleague that had ordered a drum from him, and he knew that I was going down uh, uh, to his reservation, and he said, you know, if you have the time, I really would appreciate if you would go and pick up this drum for me. And I said, well, I'll, I'll do that. I'm sure I can make the time. So I got finished with my work on Friday, and, and uh, on Saturday morning, I, I headed out. Uh, for Leland's place, and I found him, and um, um, I had, um, I went, I told him I was there to collect the drum, and and I had taken some food and things, which, you know, it's an appropriate thing to do when you uh, go um, visit, and so as I was having coffee with him, he said to me, he said, um, there are many strange things that happen uh, in this country. We, I was talking about the isolation of the place. You know, how do you how how do you live here alone, and how long have you lived here, and all this kind of thing. And mm-hmm. and so then he started telling me about the UFO that 
that always came to his place and 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 who dropped the dropped the uh, automobile down. And apparently, one night, he was in his kitchen watching out the kitchen window, and this car was stalled. And he said that the driver of the automobile came and stood outside his door, but he never knocked. It was like he didn't know what he was supposed to do. So Mm. Leland opens the door, and the driver indicates he wants him to follow him. So he goes out, and the car has a flat tire. And so he motions to them that they're going to have to get out of the car so he can jack it up. And he said the the women were really dressed, you know, with these high heels and these dresses on. And he said they clustered together. They wouldn't come near him. And that they... He he said they kind of walked funny, like they'd never worn high heels before. But anyway, he gets this tire repaired, and the driver gives him 10 silver dollars. And I said, well, do you have them? And he said, well, I took nine of them into town, and, and I got money for them, but I have one. I've kept one. And so he pulled it out of his pocket, and he showed it to me. And he said... Um, he said the fellow who gave me the money said he would take all he could get, but he said, I've never had a chance to get any more. So every time I would go back to that reservation, I would always go see see him, and I'd take food, and I'd cook dinner, and we'd, all, we'd eat, and, and he would share me, update me on any stories. And once I went there, and his he had a friend that was staying with him, and his friend corroborated this story. And in fact, they had had a, a sighting that both of them told me about just a, a, a week or so earlier. And they said, well, you know, we'll wait tonight and we'll we'll see if he if they come. And of course, you know, by midnight I had to get back. To, it was about sixty miles to yeah. the, the school district where I was working. And uh, so I went back to town, and and uh, um, several months later I was back there, and and Leland had passed, and oh. and uh, had uh, um, the the. The elder who was with him said, you know, Leland really loved you. And he said he he left something for you, and he gave me that silver dollar oh, wow. that had been to the stars. So that's one of my favorite stories. Oh, yeah. Wow. You know, the uh, another one is, you know, is, is was uh, uh, an elder named Chauncey who said the legend was that he had shot an alien. And his granddaughter told me about him. She was one of my students, and she said... Um, you know, uh, I had, um, um, she said, you know, if you ever get up, up, uh, to the reservation, she says, look up my grandpa, he'll tell you his story. And, and of course he told me a story about an alien trying to steal his dog. <laughs> and, you know, it was one of my favorite stories because I'm a real dog lover anyway. And so he said that when the, uh, he, he heard this. Uh, his dog took off at night around the cabin, and so he he went searching for his dog, and he saw this uh, uh, man leaning over his dog, and he thought that the man was doing something to his dog. He said, "I didn't shoot him; I shot above him." And he said, and then he said, "You know, here this 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 
what I thought was a man stood up and he describes him as wearing silver pajamas and kind of glowing and he says, um, uh, he told me that he was from the stars. And so he walks him around this butte to where his little craft is, is uh, parked and he said that that this alien told him that, you know, he he there was another ship in the sky that was waiting for him. And he, he asked him if he could take his dog. And he, I said, what did you do? And he said, well, I just put my gun and pointed my gun, and he knew what I meant. <laughs> but he says he comes back, and every time he comes back, my dog Blue, he, he, uh, he's afraid. And he said if he ever got a chance, I know he would steal my dog. Well, he died a couple of years later, and I went up to his funeral, and and um, um, when his granddaughter, after the funeral, they buried him in the backyard along with his other family members, and I go back there, and, and his dog is, is lying on his grave just mourning. And so I said to, the, to, to his granddaughter, I said, you know, what's going to happen with Blue? And she said, well, we're going to leave him here for the night. She said, and, and let him grieve, but then we'll be back tomorrow because my kids really love him, and we'll take him home with us. Uh-oh. So I'm, all the way home, I worried about this dog. Yeah. And when I was by, I, got, I had to go back up around Christmas time, and I saw her, and she was standing out in a, a recess with the kids. And so I stopped the car and went over, and I was talking to her, and I said, you know, well, whatever happened to Blue? And she said, well, you know, it was the strangest thing. We went back out there the next morning to get Blue, and she said we searched and searched and searched, and we never did find him. She said, I guess he just went off someplace to die. <laughs> and, all, and I'm thinking, oh, no, he didn't, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so there were some wonderful stories like that, and they're all in the book, Encounters with Star People. Was there a lot of, what's the, ratio between like current sort of tales like that and and, and more uh, ancient tales uh like from generations past is there, there there's both in there right well i don't tell you know if i tell an ancient story it all has to do with something somebody told me yeah, yeah. um you know, it's not just recall, not the telling of a legend. Right, Every right. one of the stories in there is a contemporary story. Oh, okay, but okay. it may be that they're, they tell me as a part of providing me with a background, some ancient story. Yeah, yeah, okay. And so, go ahead, Darren. Um, this might be a little off topic, but I'm just wondering, uh, did you ever come across any, any, any like, uh, Bigfoot stories or, like, Chupacabra or anything like that? Uh, in your, I, in the... I came across a, a story down in, in, um, um, in Honduras um, where uh, these cattle were being killed, and, and people were saying it was a Chupacabra. And, and, um, um, obviously it wasn't, you know, it was, it was a clear case of cattle mutilation. And this rancher had, was so frustrated that he had hired these two ranch hands to, to guard his cattle at night. And they were, it was still happening to him. 
And so I interviewed the ranch hands, and they talked about how, you know, they were they didn't know how it happened they they talked about how they were out guarding the the cattle and and then one of them told me that he he fell asleep and and i think what happened you know i think it was either induced or they were taken on board a craft and just had no recollection of what was going on and uh so that was a, but the the village was saying it was a chupacabra Hmm. Those chupacabras. Chupacabra right. from a UFO, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but I heard stories of giants. Huh. Um. Uh. And you know, and and uh, in in um, uh, Guatemala, stories of giants and hairy men, which could be similar to Bigfoot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. But um. The South American uh, Bigfoot. Yeah. But this, their story is that that uh, the story I heard that was told to me by a Guatemalan elder was was that the that the the hairy men had been placed there by men from the stars and they came down and they could hear him crying when the men from the stars came. Wow! And uh, there are a lot of stories about giants who steal women and uh, children and those kind of things in the mountains there. Hmm. So it seems like everybody in the UFO community wants to uh, know what the answer is, kind of like people are trying to always figure it out. And where's the data and what, you know, um, do you have any of your own opinions on it? Like, do you, is it pretty simple in your mind? Like it's just uh, star people, ET, that type of thing? Or do you have any other ideas? Well, I think that we this planet is definitely being visited. And like many of the people I spoke with, I think that there are several different groups that are visiting this planet. And I think some of them um, are not here in our best interest. Right. And some and, are. And some are, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, one elder that I talked with told me that, um, that the there was a... You know, uh, um, uh, an understanding among um, the star people that um, they were not to interfere. Um, they could observe, they could visit, but they were not to interfere. But then on the other hand, he said he was told that there were violators who didn't respect those rules. Yeah. And they were the ones that were responsible for the abductions. They were the ones that that were infiltrating and coming in. And, and I had one elder tell me that there were civilizations so advanced that people could take, the beings on that planet could take any form that they wanted to. They could be an animal, a rock, a Light. You know, any anything, yeah. and and that they could be standing right next to you. I had another elder in Mexico tell me about the people that they come every 16 years, and he said they will be back in 2016, and that they work alongside of scientists and uh, very important people and help them in discoveries, and they do all kind of stuff. We sure need some help. <laughs> No kidding. Let's come back here, right? What would you turn into if you could turn into something for a half an hour? 
What about you, Graham? What do you pick? I'd I'd probably pick like an eagle or a bird or something like that. That's what came to mind. I'd pick my dog. <laughs> 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 She's got the life. <laughs> She's pretty spoiled, I take it? Oh, yes. <laughs> Maybe I just turn to the moon for What about you, hour. the moon? Yeah. Oh, I guess you could, yeah, you don't, it doesn't have to be living, right? You could be inanimate? Any, anything. So what would, yeah. be on your, what would be on your dark side or your back, the back side of the moon then? That's where I'd hide my grass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. So what, what else was I going to ask you? I had another, um, oh, yeah. Did you notice any like obviously you've you've read and and <clears throat> sorry written and heard about all these tales? Did you notice any any trends at all like any seasonal trends or astronomical trends or anything that kind of made you think oh there's something sort of consistent going on? Well, I think you know that that um um. I mean, I talked with a lot of people that had missing time. Right. So obviously something was, was going on there. I talked to um, people who said, a number of people who said that uh, the, the beings they encountered were, were more like scientists, that they were here taking samples of the earth, you know, getting... Um, plants and different things you know they were scientists mm -hmm. studying the earth um so i think those kinds of things um uh, and then i talked to several people that said the that the earth was being infiltrated by beings that could make themselves look like humans yeah yeah so that's interesting because that's uh, that's a um a a mythos or a meme that you hear outside of the native community in ufology, right? So that's interesting how you also hear that from the indigenous people. The shape-shifting. Yeah, and the white, like the people that look like humans. And they're like, it sounds like there's some, some parallels to the, the memes that you hear. Yeah. These are people that aren't aren't uh, probably aren't watching as much, you know, TV or listening to coast to coast and stuff like that. Well, you know, and, and that, that's true. You know, so many of the people I interviewed didn't even have television, you know, um, it was interesting to me is, is, uh, you know, like, I think it was something like almost 70% of the people that, um, talked to in Central America and Mexico had cell phones, but they didn't have, they didn't have TV sets, you know? Right. Um, and of course, TV reception in, in those areas, you know, they just don't get it. And, um, and then you, occasionally you'd run across one and be a little black and white television set, you know? Um, and of course, it depended on the community. You know, you get into Mexico where uh, there's more opportunity to work in the tourism business, and there's more opportunity for different kinds of of employment in in some of these uh, um, um, little villages where where there are these ancient cities, and and you find people have a few more things, you know, than than other people do. Hmm. So is there anything else that you'd like to talk about before we start wrapping up the show, Artie? 
Well, I can't think of anything. I, you know, I just, uh, it obviously, um, what I'm writing about is, you know, is, is a different, um, look at, at UFOs and yeah. UFO experiences. And, and it comes from an, from the worldview of, of, uh, indigenous people and people who not necessarily have had as much interaction or Exposure. you know not with you know or have television or movies and and um and so their perspective is unique yeah yeah no i totally agree i think it's a a great uh great view or a great look at the at the uh ufo subject yeah, yeah it's less less of uh there's less seems like it's I don't know what the word is. It's almost a more natural or organic or something. Yeah, there's something that's uh-huh. less embedded in, in, into their culture as it is as it is a lot. Well, of the it hasn't are been influenced stories. by media. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, it 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 lacks that it, that the honesty um, that a lot of a lot of uh, uh, accounts you know that you can say oh. Well, they heard it from here, and and many, many, many of the stories are just so unique. Um, and I never questioned it, that I was being told the truth um, by the people who told them. Yeah. yeah. And there's a there is a different uh, attitude too, you know, uh, at least among um, Native Americans, or uh, it, it is that there wasn't the fear that you often find associated. Oh. Of ridicule and all that, yeah. 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 Well, not the fear of ridicule because most of them didn't want to. They they didn't want anything to do with somebody finding out who they were because their biggest fear was that somebody would come there looking for them and they'd be, you know, all these people roaming around, you know, the reservations and they didn't want that. Oh, I see. But, so, it, so you what know, was the last was, time a bunch of people were roaming around and it didn't work out so good? Yeah, <laughs> they just didn't want that, you know. And so, so you know, I mean, they just you know, would rather remain private. But they didn't have the fear often associated with people seeing UFOs or encountering uh, star beings. Oh, the fear of the experience itself. Right. Yeah, yeah, Uh right. Okay. So that was a unique characteristic. I think in general, a fear of the unknown was less, less prevalent in that culture. Well, because you know, you you know, a lot of the spirituality deals with the unknown. Yeah, open-minded. Yeah. Right. Huh. That's interesting. Where can uh, where can people track you down if they if they wanna wanna look a, read a little more about you? Or do you like have a blog or Twitter or Facebook? Well, or I have a like web page that. that uh, um, uh, www. Okay. And uh, my book is available at Amazon. So if they want to, and by the way, my book has actually been published in Japanese, which I just find uh, so amusing. You know, that's great. Yeah. That uh, um, uh, that you know, here I have this copy of this book that uh, uh, of my stories. Of course, can't read a single word, but it's just fascinating <laughs> to have a copy of it. You know. That's pretty looking too. <laughs> yes, right. And you're also going to be speaking, uh, as we talked about, at the 2014 UFO Congress in 
and just outside of Scottsdale at, um, at Fort, McDowell, Fort McDowell, right? right? Yeah, and that's yeah, coming and, up soon. So we'll link to I, that in the show notes for sure. And, I, you know, I'll, I'll try to be available and visit with as many people as I can. So if anyone's coming down, just look me up. Yeah, that's great. That's what I love about the conference is being able to uh, chat with all the, you know, all the speakers and the authors and meet all kinds of like-minded people. So I, I think you're really going to have a good time. Oh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I've never been to it, you know. I haven't, you know, my my work, as I say, has been in academia. And so I traveled to, you know, educational conferences all over the world and and was a speaker, but never anything like this. So it's going to be a new experience for me. Yeah, that's great. Well, that's great. I would like to really thank you for coming on. It's been it's been a great time. Uh, I hope we hope you have a lot of fun at the at the UFO Congress. Maybe you'll maybe you'll see Graham there. Okay. Uh, we'll make sure and link to to everything in the, in the show notes and and maybe uh, when the new book comes out, you can you can come back to Grimerica. I'd love to. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Artie. It's been great. Great night. Oh, and I'll send you a note whenever it comes out, okay? Yeah, for sure. Please yeah, do. Okay. okay. Well, thank you so much for having me. It sure has been a pleasure. And that was our episode with RD6 Killer Clark. What'd you think, Darren? That was a good one. I uh, I've been looking. I was kind of looking forward to that one. I was kind of that one kind of came together quick. Um, we thought of getting her on, and then we had her on right away. So it's kind of neat when that happens. It's neat, but you don't have a lot of time to prepare either. I mean, I, I luckily we've heard a lot of her her stuff before, so it was uh, it was not nothing new really. Yeah, and I've got a general interest at, with a general interest in uh, in that sort of field already. What being a uh, native and all? You mean being a native and all? And plus, uh, you know, I've I've hummed and hawed about writing a book on you know some some almost the same sort of subject matter, but a little bit different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was cool uh, for me hearing about Central America and South America because that's a place I haven't gone yet. So I I really want to plan a trip down there. That Mexico is still North America. And that's why I said Central and, and South. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was good, though, man. Lots of cool stories about the encounters with star people. And um, I'm looking forward to the next book she's got. That, that'll be more focused in uh, Central, right? North America. North, North, still, North, and South, still, North, and, North and South America. Right on. Speaking of uh, native instruments and stuff like that, I'm going down to uh, to help uh, my friend with her sweat lodge there. She's going to do some <laughs> native drum, like spread some skins from the native drums or something. Nice. Yeah. What are you doing that tomorrow? Yeah, I'm going to go down there tomorrow. Sweet. Help chop some wood for the sweat lodge and stuff. So. I don't think I'm going to do fuck all tomorrow. Good. I'm going to fucking take the day. Good. 
So we should probably, for once, for the first time in our uh, our illustrious career here, we've got actually a bit of a lineup of guests we can kind of throw out to you guys, and you should actually have some fucking time to maybe get some questions in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're booked almost till April now. Yeah, exactly. So the next episode out, it's already recorded, but it'll be coming out next week, is the one with Howard Heart Martin. Math, right? Yeah, Howard Martin of Heart Math, which is, went really well. Yeah, that was considering awesome. Considering we caught him off guard, but we'll talk yeah. about that a little more in the next episode. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, we've got... Uh, well, obviously, we've got on Monday, we're recording a special episode. We're going to release it as a bonus episode uh, at some point um, over the next couple of weeks. But we're going to be live on location with John Ward, Scotty Roberts in Egypt on their yeah. Exodus tour. Yeah, on their Exodus reality adventure. Actually, we might just fucking release that right away. If we don't. Maybe we'll just do it as just that. We'll kind of do a quick intro as we record it and just release it right away. Yeah, yeah. It'll it'll be powerful enough on its own. I'm sure to just go ahead with it. Yeah, and then we're gonna do kind of a nine eleven nine eleven episode. Uh, I'm trying to get in touch with the uh, the Dutch filmmakers of a sensible doubt uh, to see if they'll come on for the intro. And then we've got Dr. Kevin Barrett lined up to talk about 9-11 and, and a few other things. What do you think about that, buddy? Have you, have you dug into that a little bit? I know you've been, it's been piquing your interest over the last few months. Yeah, I think, yeah, it is. I, I'm, the jury is still out, let's put it that way. Yeah. It's probably bullshit. What's bullshit? The war on terror. Oh, well, we know the war on terror is bullshit. It's just to what level of bullshit it is. A pretty high level. Yeah, okay. Um, after that, on uh, February 25th, we'll be interviewing Jim Harold. Um, obviously, I think most of our audience is going to know who he is. Uh, Jim Harold's Campfire. Campfire Stories and the Paranormal Podcast. Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Think, yeah. Yeah, I met Jim at uh, Paradigm 2013. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, it'll be great to chat with him. Yeah, after that, March 4th, we'll be interviewing Daniel Estelin. Um, kind of Trans funny. Evolution? Trans Evolution, yeah. He's got some older books on uh, on the Bilderbergs and shit, too. Uh, so that should be a good one. Yeah, that one we're, we're, that's a late night one for us because he's in Spain, and I could see that going to be, I could see that going at least two hours. So we'll be burning the midnight oil on that one. Yeah, but that's going to be, is that like transhumanist type stuff too? Like I think so, yeah. Singularity kind of thing? And yeah, it's going to have a singularitarian twist to it, I'm sure. Androids and biohacking and everything, Yeah, maybe. So hopefully, uh, I, I'm surprised I never heard of this guy. It seems like he's a, he's a pretty common name over in the rest of the world, just kind of making his foray into North America. So. And Grimerica. And Grimerica, yeah. So you heard it here first, folks. Um, uh, and then one of my favorites is uh, John Perkins coming up next. Yeah, the economic hitman himself on my birthday, March 10th. Uh, nice. If any of you fuckers want to send me a birthday present, you can do do so to the P.O. box. No coal. I guess that's more of a Christmas thing. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah, the economic hitman, John Perkins, uh, big big guest for us, almost uh, a bit of a mini milestone. Oh yeah, because I've I read his economic confessions of an economic hitman probably four or five years ago, and and I've got the secret history of the American Empire, I think, and also hoodwinked, and they're on audio. I've got them on audio now, so I'm listening to hoodwinked right now. I, it's 
it's pretty cool just finished hoodwink yeah so we got that on audible right audible.com yeah i got uh i got i got hoodwinked and and um confessions confessions on audible and i got i got confessions which for free well, I would I I didn't, but you can get confessions. Or, or <laughs> I didn't because I've been on Audible for a while. But you guys can, of course, get either one of those books for free. Uh, great books. If you just put in audibletrial.com slash grimerica, uh, you'll have to put in your credit card info, but you get a free book, free month. Uh, if you cancel within the 30 days, they didn't, they, your card never gets charged. And uh, you don't have to give back the book. You get the book. And if you decide to stick around, then uh, Grimerica makes a buck. Not much, but a buck. Yeah, hey, look, this is what happens with me. I pay like a monthly. I end up paying a small monthly fee, probably no more than my Mysterious Universe Plus fee. And um, I end up with free credits all the time. So I basically can't keep up on all the free audiobooks I get. And all I pay, all I pay is a, like a small monthly fee. And I basically listen to as many audiobooks as I can squeeze in. Yeah, so we haven't pumped that in a while, but uh, yeah, go go ahead, go over to audibletrial.com. Um, after John Perkins, we're going to be having on March 18th, Terry Tabando. Is it Tabando? Is that right? Am yep. I saying that yep. right? Yeah, yeah he's, he's a C-SETI guy, right? Yeah, he's from Vancouver. I, I uh, He's from the group that I was C-SETIing with back in the mid-90s, so he's got this encyclopedia he's working on. I guess it's not technically an encyclopedia, but that's what it's turning out to be on uh, UFOs and ETs or something like that. It's 2,500 pages long. So we get to talk about that, talk about the CSETI protocols, <laughs> maybe check out the app. One of Richard Greer's buddy. <laughs> yeah. So that'll be good. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. And then we're working that's on Steven, by the way. Yeah, I know. Okay. I'm never going to say Steven. <laughs> Uh, after that, we're working on Tom Roberts, a uh, psychedelic guy and the benefits of uh, magic mushrooms. Yeah, and my Uncle Dave wants us to have on this other guy about uh, mushrooms, too. Yeah, How actually, mushrooms I, can save the world or something like that? Yeah, I contacted him, actually. Oh, yeah, so let's try and do a double shroom episode there. He still hasn't got back to me, but we'll see. Okay, so you, you might not have contacted him then. No, I contacted him on like his website contact form. Oh, okay. Okay. So there's no way to really, like, confirm i don't really trust those things no i know me neither whenever i use those i don't seem to get a good response and that's it so far but i think we're planning our passport episode for around uh april 1st maybe the weekend right before april 1st march 29th ish yeah yeah right around there and um yeah, we'll and, have our passport episode on. We've got a couple, one or two people lined up already, but we still got room for plenty more. Uh, so email us, tweet us, Facebook us, fucking something us. We should, yeah, I guess you, you know. can, you can uh, Skype us really and leave a. We have a voicemail on our Skype, I think. Really? Yeah, I don't know what it says. I I think I might have set it up a while ago, actually. Hmm. I'll, I'll call you and do a test run later. Hey, I want to mention also the meditation episode we're going to have. It's going to, I'm hoping to have uh, another like sort of bonus episode come out and it'll be um, a bunch of local Calgarian meditating sort of teachers and people, friends of mine that, that do meditations and they have all kinds of uh, information on the scientific benefits of it. And we'll have a little uh, round table kind of discussion on, on meditation. So that's really what I'm looking forward to also. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that'll be a good one. 
that'll be our first in studio one like i say we're gonna do the passport episode for our one year anniversary uh i think we're gonna go with a live show we're gonna try and put it together anyway right so the passport's not really for the one year it's still in april but then when it comes to yeah, the one year is at the end of May, June 1st. Right, we're, right. we're calling June 1st or one year, I think. Okay. So it'd be, yeah. Um, and then, of course, uh, review the show where you can. iTunes, take a minute, review us at iTunes, review us wherever you can. It helps us uh, grow the audience and thus uh, grow our ability to get uh, great guests. And donations are always uh, appreciated just to help cover some costs, right? Um, we want to do the... We want to, once we get enough, uh, enough people and enough interest, we want to do the money bomb where, where we'll get uh, donations in and we'll give back half of that to one of our people that donates or, or contributes. Or someone yeah. who sends a postcard. Yeah. Or you can send a postcard it's to the people. Not office. a lottery. Not a lottery. Um, and then, of course, uh, we always <laughs> love to get feedback. I mean, we actually got a, an email from David Zare. Uh, he was on the first Passport episode, and I think uh, we're hoping we can get him on the second Passport episode as well. Uh, but he emailed in. He said, hey, guys, just wanted to say the show is doing fucking great. Personally, I think ever since the interview you did with Reverend Michael Carter, you guys have stepped it up big time. The interviews have been really in-depth and just downright awesome. Don't take that the wrong way. Before that, they were still really good, but it's like something changed. Maybe having red on has something to do with it. I don't know, but keep it up. Just downloaded my flyer, and hopefully we'll have some pics to you soon. Indiana doesn't have a lot of cool shit to take pictures of, <laughs> but I'll come up with something. Hell, maybe I can find some of these ancient mounds Fritz was talking about around here. Still loving the show, and it's still my favorite. Dave. Awesome. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, thanks, Dave. And of that course, is just uh, fantastic. Did we talk about that, that little mail carrier uh, fan we have in Calgary, too? <laughs> No, yeah, I, that's the first yeah. Time I'll have it. to. Okay, next time we'll. Uh, I think you were on the email, but uh, we'll we'll read his out too. He's he's a he's a fan. He walks around uh, Calgary delivering mail, so he's got lots uh, of time to listen to podcasts. So that's great. Uh, I asked him where the fuck my Amazon stuff was. Yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah, then fuck Amazon. Or you, but if you're gonna use Amazon, use the Grimerica portal. I don't know. Uh, that about, Let's get, we should stop that one. No. Hey, speaking of flyers, fucking, I got some new picks. I got some new picks. The only thing that's fucking profitable right now. I got some new picks to go we up. We made like uh, 12 bucks off it. <laughs> really? Something like that, I think. That was probably from me before they realized it was me. Yeah, they took it back. So um, I got some more picks, too, with the flyers. So Yeah, yeah. To, I think talk we're about the flyer almost, campaign. We're, eight, we're in nine countries now, I think. So with it's the going, flyers? Yeah, it's going Sweet. better. We haven't got any fucking pictures back yet. But, well, well, Jeff sent us in a few. Cousin Jeff sent a few on the boat. Uh, and, of course, Graham sent them from all over. Jared sent <laughs> us his pile. But I haven't seen an actual picture of a flyer hanging in another country yet. I'm waiting for that. So I know you guys got them. I can tell where you downloaded them. So fuck, put them up. I want to see a all picture. Right. I want to see right. the first out-of-country picture. All right, email us, graham at grimerica.com. G-R-A-H-A-M at grimerica.com. Yeah, or Darren at GrimAmerica.com. Uh, hate mail. Hate mail goes to feedback at GrimAmerica.ca. Yep, as always. And you can find us on Twitter at GrimAmerica. Like us on Facebook. <coughs> I don't know. The link is some crazy fucking number, but go like us there. I think that about wraps it up. <coughs> Thanks, buddy. 
long on this outro. Yeah, that's good. Longer than usual. Maybe we'll make that a habit. You guys can get more of our fucking nonsense. <laughs> you'll, yeah, yeah. you'll find links to everything we talked about in the show notes for the and most the music. Part. Didn't you find some native music in yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. Uh, all the music in this episode, I tried to put a bit of a native theme to what I could find. Uh, and of course, we'll link to all that in the show notes. Right on, buddy. Thanks, hey. All right, guys. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week.
Father once told me, he said, Grandson, the world is filled with people, but there's only a handful of human beings. And at night, when I look at the stars, I think of my elders, my ancestors. My grandfather said, I hope that I conducted my life in such a manner that you yourself would choose to be a human being and encourage and make a stand for our unborn of all nationalities. I will never forget the day that my grandfather passed on or began a new journey. He told me, he said, grandson, we have no word for goodbye because life is forever. He said, don't worry, I'll see you again. So he says to me, he says, Trakoja, which means I shall see you again and from each and every one of us here in Brulee we say to you and many safe travels to wherever it is that you go